Creation has been corrupted by us, first in the fall and then in the way we handle it. You know, the whole kind of eco-movement's finally waking up to the fact that we've only got one world that God gave us, you know. It's called this present evil age. That's not about creation. That's talking about us, mankind, humankind. We're thinking today about the world system, its attitudes, its philosophies, its ethics, or rather lack of them. How the unbelieving world of men and women thinks and behaves. This world is godless. Now, I know there's a Netflix movie or whatever called that, but anyway. This world stands where Adam and Eve stood, having rejected God in the garden. It stands in disobedience and dishonor towards God. Unbelieving humanity does not honor God as creator, life giver, father, sovereign, lawgiver, or judge. It thinks and behaves independently of him. God, what God? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And the world of mankind is sinful because we are sinful. It's what we are making it. The world of creation is broken and corrupted because of our sin and rebellion, but all that we as human beings have made, produced, not just physical items, but societies and legislatures and and governments and all sorts of things are in some way or another corrupt because we made them. Our money system is corrupt. You know, old President Reagan wanted to like to characterize the Soviet Union as the evil empire, and it's like, hang on a minute. So the West is the goodies and they're all bad? It's all corrupted because we bring our corruption to it. And I don't think many of us, for many days at a time, even begin to sense and feel the, the sinfulness of sin, how bad this condition is. People in the 19th century, when science and learning was increasing, thought the world would become a better and a better place. They had a, what we call a utopian view of human society. It's going to get better. It's going to get, without God, don't need him, but it's going to get better. But in fact, all that happened between the end of the, this is the 19th century means 1800s, yes, 1800s into the 20th century, which is the 1900s, we just became a whole lot better at oppressing and killing people. We designed weapons that were bad to worse, to even worser, to horrible, to terrible, to inconceivable. thousand ways to kill millions of people. Two world wars in the first half of the 20th century just about did for the utopian optimism of a generation or two before. People thought, no. No. Here's a phrase I wrote. I'm going to leave, give it to you the way I wrote it. The world is the way that it is because we are the way that we are. <clears throat> Rebels against God, broken people, making a huge mess of just about everything they put their hand to. Now, some people have all sorts of 
conspiracy theories, you know, the world is being run by the Illuminati or, you know, all of the capitalists. Or some of them are anti some of those theories are anti-Semitic, you know. Um, but the, I, I want to tell you the truth is far, far worse than that. The world is under the power and influence of the devil. Jesus himself called the devil the ruler of this world, Satan. Paul calls him the God of this age, this present evil age. Has a God? They don't have to be Satanists to serve him. They just have to carry on doing what they're doing. And they're serving the God of this age. But we, for a believer or a Christian, we have been rescued from Satan's power. Ephesians 2 says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You were serving Satan. Didn't know you were, but you were. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the appetites of our flesh, our human nature, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. Children means you belong to that. Children of wrath, just as the others. Next verse says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in Christmas and sins, has made us alive together with Christ. <clears throat> Colossians 1. 13 says, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have been rescued from the power, the authority of darkness, of Satan, the ruler of this world, the God of this age, and we've been transfer transferred into a kingdom of light which is led by Jesus. So we are children of light, living among children of darkness. Yes. We're children destined for glory, living among children of wrath. It's a world of difference, isn't it? Yes. To coin a phrase. It's a world of difference. But we are still living in this world, not just geography, in this society amongst the rest of humankind. The rest of the world, the unbelieving world, still lies under the power, the authority of the wicked one. John, 1 John, John says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's very plain, isn't it? We belong to the Lord, but the rest of the world, the unbelieving world, lies under the sway of the wicked one. That influence is differently expressed in different regions and different nations. If or when we return to Daniel, we'll see in chapter 10, that as Daniel was praying, an angel was sent from the Lord to help him, but a demonic power which was behind the human rulers of the Persian Empire resisted that prayer being answered. So one of the Lessons of Daniel is that there are really no good guys among the rulers of this world. Dark powers are at work behind human governments. There used to be a fad for what they call strategic level spiritual warfare. You ever heard of that? 
We're going to go into the high places and we're going to cast down. If we just get up there and deal with that demon, then all heaven's going to break loose. That's not our business. Daniel had no dealing with the demonic power. The angel of the, an angel of the Lord did. And he even needed another mightier angel to come and help him. As Daniel prayed, God was doing something, but Daniel wasn't making it happen. But his prayer was calling on God to do something. And the prince of Persia wasn't thrown off his throne, and so the angels sat down and said, we're in charge now. The prince of Persia had to make way for another prince who was coming, the prince of Greece, who again, wasn't one of the good guys, folks. The abolition of demonic and human authorities will come at the appearing of our Lord Jesus, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Then comes the end, when Jesus surrenders a completed kingdom to the Father, having abolished all rule and authority, implying whether human or demonic. All authority, other than that of God and Christ, vanishes when Jesus returns. It's abolished. But until then, Human and demonic authorities are still at work in this world. It's this age. That's the, what, the, the way this age is. You can't overthrow it. You can't change the rules. It's the way it is. And we Christians will not take the world over until Jesus returns. Then we inherit the heavens and the earth, the eternal kingdom. Not now. Not now. The world of mankind is opposed to God. It's opposed to truth. It's opposed to Jesus. It's opposed to the gospel. Do you see that increasing? Do you sense that? Therefore, when we identify as belonging to and following the Lord Jesus, as just as Jesus told us, the world treats us the way it treated him. And we are surprised. We're shocked. But he told us that's what would happen. Let's look again at 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Whoa! Therefore, the world doesn't know us. Well, it doesn't want to know us, doesn't recognize us, because it did not know Him. Because of their attitude towards Him, becomes their attitude towards us. When we are known to be His. And we're identified as being his. Again, further down, John says, Do not marvel, my brothers, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised when because you've identified yourself as a Christian, things start to go a bit more difficult for you. Become more difficult for you. The world is implacably opposed to Christians. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. There's a verse that's not going to be preached on many times today around the world. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Here again, though, are the words of the Lord Jesus. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. <coughs> Yet because... You are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. And then further down, the next chapter. 
These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. People have some theories of eschatology, which is the doctrine of the last thing, say Christians will never go through tribulation. Well, Jesus says you're going to go through something called tribulation right there. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. If we belong to him, we are, at, we are already in a position of being contrary to the world, and the world knows that and recognizes that. They, if they reject Jesus, they're going to reject us. To be part of the world is to be without hope, God and without hope. Ephesians 2. Remember that at that time, when before you became a believer, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, by the way, if you are a Christian, you're now in the commonwealth of Israel. You're an Israelite. And strangers from the covenants of promise, having these words, wow, these words, having no hope and without God in this world. The world, by its very nature, is godless and hopeless. That's why people sin as recklessly as they do. Why do young men join gangs? Because they have no hope of anything else. Hopelessness fuels wickedness. To be without hope and without God in this world. That is the condition of every person outside of Christ. In the world, without God, without hope. Now that brings some pause to us to think. How do we live in relation to people around us who are unbelievers? Well, Scripture clearly says that to be joined in partnership with the world, marching with the world, is to share with them in their, in their godlessness. That is why Christians should not marry unbelievers. And also be very careful about other partnerships, whether business or whatever else in life we have with unbelievers. Because light is trying to get along with darkness. We belong to different kingdoms. We live a different life. We have a different destiny. I don't know how many points I've got. We're just playing through them. The world is not about to improve. I don't know if anybody still has this kind of utopian, it's going to get better and things are going to get better. Oh yeah. Wickedness will go on and even increase. I don't foresee a golden age before the Lord returns. I believe that Scripture tells us to expect both light, righteousness and the kingdom of Jesus to increase in the earth alongside of the growth of wickedness to its full stature too. Check it out in Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2. Arise and shine, feel the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. But great darkness will cover the people. You think, oh, well, is it one or the other? It's both at the same time. It's like when you had an old black and white set. You know, you can either live with gray, you can turn it right up. It's either black or it's white. And the, the difference between those who are living for the Lord and those who are re, re, still rejecting the Lord is going to get more drastic 
as time goes on. That's the way I see it. Jesus said in the parable of the tares, the wheat and the tares, the tares are the children of the evil one, the wheat is the, the children of God, they're the children of the kingdom. They grow together to the end of the age. And only at the end of the age are they separated. So the righteous grow to maturity as well as wickedness grows to maturity. I want us to think for a few minutes about how the world affects and influences us, okay? What, what, what kind of attack are we under from the world? What kind of pressure are we under from the world? There are three primary temptations which, from the world which are taught in Scripture. And then they're exampled in two places in Scripture. Anyway, I know you've heard this from me before. Let's go to it. 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. That doesn't mean don't, don't care about the ecology or about feeding the birds or, you know, you know, rescuing the whales or whatever else. This is about godless humanity. And it's the way society works and the way that corrupt, you know, human society, the pressures that are in it and the, temp- and, and, and the things that, that go on in this world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father... Is not in him. <clears throat> he goes on, for all that is in the world, the lust, old English word lust, let's put appetites, shall we? Yearnings. Appetites or yearnings of the flesh, that's physical being. The lust or appetites of the eyes, what you see and want, in other words. And the pride of life, and one version has the boastful pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he goes on, the world is passing away and the lust appetites of it. But he who does the will of God will live forever. Let's think about those three things. The cravings of sinful man, physical appetites, bodily appetites, including food, sex, alcohol, drugs, comfort, luxury, the things by which we feel we're satisfying some desire in our physical being. Not all of those things are bad, but the appetite needs to be controlled. You cannot be led by your appetite. You've got to govern your appetite. Or whatever it is. The cravings of sinful man. Human, a human being, a human body, a human physical being, which is corrupted because it's following corrupt desires. We have been given the opportunity to live free of that, to live counter to that. Then the cravings of the eyes, seeing and wanting to possess, covetousness. See your neighbor's car. Look at what he's got. His wife, his house. Looking at and longing for what is not yours, but you wish it was covetousness, greed. Rich people are not satisfied with their riches. You know that, don't you? But you always want more. It's never enough. Materialism. Life does not consist in the number of things or the value of the things that you possess. Sexual fascination. And by the way, I know I've said it before, but if you could take away the cravings of the eyes and these other three appetites altogether, there would be no point in advertising. Because people go, what? So? I don't need that. 
The advertising industry would close tomorrow if the world shut down on these issues. These are things that are at work in the world. The third one is the boasting of what a person has or does. Pride, ego, self-ambition, self-advancement, competitiveness, fame. How many programs on TV or on last night were all about somebody getting a chance to be famous? Yeah? It's, that's what the world is. I want my, it used to be 15 minutes of fame, now it's like five minutes of fame. Program finishes, go home, mate, we're done with you. These things were seen at the very beginning in the fall of man. Come with me to Genesis 3. So the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was, number one, good for food. It would do something for her physically. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was pleasing to her vision. And it was desirable to make one wise. We're going to become somebody if we eat that fruit. We're going to be like God, no good for evil. Three, the three are at work there. Physical appetite, visual desire, first ambition, pride, ego. And she took of the fruit and ate and she gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. They're also seen in the temptation of Jesus. If you go to the Luke version, Luke 4, Satan comes to Jesus when he's already been in the desert 40 days, having been baptized by John in the River Jordan, received the Holy Spirit. He's driven by the Spirit of the wilderness. He's there 40 days. At the end of that time, Jesus was hungry and the devil comes to him. You see those stones? Why don't you turn them into bread? And the devil even quotes Scripture. But Jesus quotes Scripture back. The temptation, in Luke's version, they're in a different order in Matthew, but in Luke's version, the temptations are in this order. First of all, physical appetite. You're hungry, aren't you? Why don't you just take those stones and make, make them into bread? Satisfy your physical hunger, but at the cost of misusing your authority. Jesus refused to do so. Second one. He took him up to the pinnacle of the temple, showed him all the wealth and glory of the world. I will give you all this if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus was shown the whole world and all it contained, but he didn't want to gain it unless it was what was given to him by the Father. Then, sorry, this was the pinnacle of the temple. Now, took him to, why don't you throw yourself down? And just before you hit the ground or somewhere on the way down, the angels will come and catch you and lift you up and fly you around and straight into being Messiah and King. No sweat, no worry. Quick way through to glory, mate. Jesus answered by Scripture, you will not tempt the Lord your God. Go away, Satan. Jesus, he was saying, you can have it all. You can get all the attention. You can have the fame. Low cost. You just do it this way rather than the way that the Father's planned for you. No way. Those three temptations, physical, visual, which are about, which are about gaining things which you do not have. It's about avarice and greed and covetousness. And thirdly, pride, ego, self-advancement. Those three. People, there was a song back in a, play in a film called Cabaret called Money Makes the World Go Round. Anybody heard that? Those three things make the world go round. Those three things make the world go round. Money is just what you use to make them happen. 
We are in the world, but no longer of the world. How many of you heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not preaching new stuff to you, am I? We're still here, but we don't belong here. We still live amongst all of these people who don't know God, but we are already His. I want you to notice how Jesus prays for us in John 17. I'm going to just read it to you. A few verses uh, picked out through that great prayer in John 17 where Jesus prays for his church, he prays for his disciples, he prays for us. Verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Using the word world there in terms of earth creation. I've manifested your name, verse 6, to the men whom you've given me out of the world, different sense, out of the rest of the population, out of the rest of, of, the, of mankind. They were yours, but you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. Verse 11, now I am no longer in the world. He's about to go away. But they are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we, were one, we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I've kept. And none of them's lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your world, your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You hear this impassioned prayer of Jesus. They're not going to be taken out, but you need to keep them safe there. Father, keep them. They are not of the world, just as I, have not, I am not of the world. Then he goes further, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Verse 21 that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The, the visible unity and fellowship of Christians tells the world, these people belong to something else and someone else. They belong to the great God, three in one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect, mature in one, and the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you loved me. And finally, Verse 24, 25. Father, I desire my wishes that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. So, Let's come back to it. Don't love the world. We read it already. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, if anyone's captivated by those three things that we just looked at, and that's the way they, that's the, the, the batteries they run on, the love of the Father is not in him. James, who's a very punchy individual, he says it this way. You adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
We can love the world in the sense that God so loved the world. We can have pity and compassion upon unbelieving people and pray for their conversion. But if we allow the world and the way the world operates to rule our minds and hearts, to set for us our agenda, our values, our morals, our ambitions, we are being unfaithful towards the Lord. And if we side with God's enemies, then what does that make us? The enemies of God. Rather than conform to the world, we're to resist and refuse to think the way that the unbelieving world does. To resist the world, as Christians, we need our minds to be continually renewed. Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of all the grace of God that is taught in the last 11 chapters, that you present your bodies. Now, this is so you don't get super spiritual. I'll give you my heart, Lord. But the rest of me is over here somewhere, all right? You present your whole physical being and everything your body contains, heart and soul and mind and will, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The New King James Version is one of the few versions that translates that word correctly. It's not spiritual, it's reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips, in his uh, translation of the New Greek New Testament, said, don't let the world press you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. We are under increasing pressure to conform to this world, to its liberal moral agenda in particular. And parts of the Christian church are giving way to that pressure. Okay, we better dumb down on that one. We can't talk that scripture anymore. We're not called to conform, but to contend. Don't accept or submit to the values of a society that rejects the law of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I talked earlier about people who, you know, think the Illuminati run it all. There's conspiracy theorists. If you go on the internet, you'll find weirdos out there who will agree with any weird idea you could possibly imagine. It's already out there. There's already a group of people who are spinning it around. Like the flat earthers, you know? The earth is flat. What happens when someone's view is contradicted? They borrow even harder to find you know, to strengthen their view point. They, they, they go back and go on the internet and find, yeah, but, but, but look, you know, you know. Well, I know this is a very, very weird comparison. But listen, we are contending with, with a foreign system. We're contending with a world that's pressing us into thinking and behaving and conforming to their values, their system, their style. Do you know how we're going to resist that? By being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to be digging into truth so we stand firm and don't conform. And if we're lazy about the way we handle Scripture, the time is long gone that we can afford to do that. We need to be digging into truth. Getting firm foundations in truth. We need His Word on every matter. In my training as an accountant, I had to study statistics. One of the benefits of that is I look at a statistic in the popular media, even in the BBC, and I go, no, it's wrong. I can see straight away that the argument is wrongly expressed, that the figures are being wrongly presented. Every one of us as a Christian, now that's training, yes? yes. 
yeah? And I, you know, in a matter of time, I could train you to do the same thing, but it's not important. But every one of us, the Scripture says, we need to be trained to discern good from evil. You do that through experience and by applying Scripture. Hebrews 15, 5, verse 14. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, mature. That is, those who by reason of use, exercise, practice, experience, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And that, and it's not good, because it doesn't fit, it doesn't look right, it doesn't smell right, it doesn't taste right. Yeah? We're to discern good from evil. Oh, there's many shades of grey, yeah, but even the shades of grey need working through. They need a judgment call. How do you make a judgment call? Because you know what is right. You know what is true. You know what is biblical. And therefore, you can say, no, I'm not having that. That may be your opinion, you, the whole world. We may be in the minority, but you know what? Minorities are often right. Don't take that in terms of politics and Brexit or anything else, please. But, you know, we are in the world, but not of the world. But further than that, we are, in fact, called to overcome the world. Yes. Overcome? Now, that doesn't mean we overthrow it, we overcome it. 1 John 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. And he's talking there particularly about false teachers. But he says, because he who is in you is greater than he, small h, who is in the world. Hallelujah. God is greater than the God of this age. Yes. The Lord Jesus is greater than, yes. you know, the ruler of this earth. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak of the world, and the world hears them. And it's interesting how a lot of false teaching is very, very worldly, isn't it? It's all about getting more and being more and, you know, who you are. And, you know, you can, you can be anything you want to be. You know, it's like, it's like, what? I mean, there's some truth and there's some sense in these things. But pushed too far, it's feeding wickedness. It's feeding evil appetites. John verse 4, let's get 5, next chapter. Whatever is born of God, or should we could say whoever is born of God, overcomes the world. It's in your nature to live differently and to resist this world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, our reliance upon Jesus, our trust in Him, not how hard and sweaty we get at trying, it's our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? He who believes, trusts in Jesus, believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We don't overthrow the world. We don't replace its authorities and put who we think are the good guys in. We, we don't try to remake a Christian society by legislation. It's been done, folks. The Puritans did it. The Commonwealth did it in, under, under Cromwell. We killed the king and tried to make a Christian nation. didn't work because you can't make Christians by legislation. We overcome the world by our personal choices and decisions and principles and actions through faith in Jesus. And we live as the counterculture, loving and serving the Lord. A godly people in a godless society. If we want our society to be changed, it will be as people are changed and families and communities are changed through believing and obeying Jesus Christ. Amen. It's faith. 
And finally, dear friends, and this is chapter 6, not chapter 3, but it is final. We, with Jesus, conquer through the cross. I didn't even think of this point until I was going to bed last night. Shame on me. I'm going to give you a, three, a series of three statements by Paul from Galatians. They're in this order, in Galatians. I want you to notice the thread that he's using in Galatians. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith. Notice that? Faith. Trust, reliance, dependence. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5. Having talked about the deeds of the flesh, fornication, adultery, wickedness, uh, witchcraft, all these evil deeds of human nature. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, patience, faith. And then he says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And then thirdly, as he's winding up his whole letter to the Galatians, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. But actually, the Greek is vague there. It's not necessarily by Jesus, but even by the cross, by it. By which? By Jesus, by the cross, I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. Among many verses of Scripture that you rarely hear preachers mention, those, I would say, are on the list. We are crucified with Christ. When did you last hear about being crucified to the world? No, listen, Paul is not saying, I have gone and got crucified to the world. It used to be a thing of, you know, when people were kind of behaving in a way which is inappropriate or ungodly, you know, people give them a lecture, you need to crucify the flesh, bro. Uh, you missed the point. I have been. Let's come back to this. The cross for us is always a finished work. We relate back to that cosmic, cosmos-changing event yes. of Jesus dying on the cross, which released for us the mercy and goodness and favor of God and the forgiveness of sins. Amen. And we relate back to that event, and Paul does not say, you need to be crucified, or I need to be crucified. He says, I have been. Yes. It happened. Yes. But I need to get to, like, all the things that are the finished work of Jesus for us, I need to receive it, believe it, and act accordingly. But I'm not making it happen. It happened! Amen. It's on the basis of the finished work of the cross of Christ that Paul is arguing here. I have been crucified. He didn't do something. He didn't take on some particular spiritual, you know, I prefer to say Christian discipline. Well, I'm really, I'm really beating the flesh. He talks about that as self-discipline. Yes, of course he does it in another place, but he doesn't use the word crucify there. He talks about discipline. He disciplines himself like a boxer, like a runner, like an athlete. You know, boxers take a lot of punches to stand in the ring and take those punches. 
He says here, crucified when? When Jesus died. This is his running argument. At the cross, with Jesus, I died to my old way of life. My sinful human nature was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And I died to the world and the world to me then, before I was even born. In his later letter to the Romans, he enlarges on this, that none and indeed Jesus died in our place for our sins, but we died with him. Our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. Our old way of life was, is dead because it was nailed to the cross. And when we become believers, what do we do? We dip you in water. Why? So you get wet. No. <laughs> so we can have a sing song. No. So that we act out, not with wood and nails, thank God, but with water, you, having died, being buried, being raised to live a new life. It's receiving and believing and applying the finished work of the cross, which was vindicated in the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul argues in Romans that we take the same track with him. We were crucified as if we were there with him. We were counted in him as he went through all of this. So his death is your and my death. His resurrection is your and my resurrection. His new life is our new life. That is why Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And in relation to the world, he says it. And I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. One old, I love, you know I love the old hymns. One old hymn says, dead to the world and all its toys. It's something and fading joys. You, Christian, if you think about it, if you'll embrace it, if you'll receive it, you don't have to die to the world. You need to reckon yourself as being already dead. It isn't a discipline you need to put upon yourself. You just need to, it's a truth you need to embrace. I died in Jesus to the world. Come again to the cross. But this time see that at the cross the world has been crucified to you and you've died to the world. The claims and deceits of this world, you can ignore them because you're dead to them. The pressures of this world can be resisted and refused. Because of the cross where Jesus died and overcame and you have died with him and you overcome through dying. Just to see it. Come in. Come to the end. Oh, I like that picture. And at the bottom's the verse, the scripture as well. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world, by which, in that version, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Living for God in a godless world. Let me ask you, is that your choice, your outlook? Is that your plan for this year and for the years ahead? To paraphrase Peter in his uh, first letter, will you live the rest of your life not for the appetites of this world, but for the will of God? God promises us in Scripture everything we need to live godly lives in a godless world. 
We sometimes sing it, and sometimes I get, I get us to question what we sing and think about it. Have you noticed that? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. That is where we stand. Before the cross, by which I am crucified to the world. I now live for him. The life I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's all about him who loved me and gave himself for me. So my challenge, final challenge before we pray, break bread. If you know that you're a Christian, you've been saved by the grace of God through Jesus, set your course. Choose your pathway. You're here by the grace of God to live for God in a godless world. And you have all you need to do so. You're lacking nothing. You just need to believe it and embrace it and act accordingly. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, Bow our heads and hearts again in these moments. We thank you. Oh, God, we thank you for the finished work of the cross. Jesus himself cried out almost his last words with a loud voice, it is finished. That great shout of triumph echoes down the years to us. We need to hear it echoing into our hearts. That the things that we think we are struggling with, we don't need to struggle with because the it is finished is still true. We can embrace the truth. We, with you and in you, died to these things. You cut us free. You cut us loose. We, many of us, have been baptized and have acted out our faith in your death for us and resurrection for us and that you now are our new life. We want to do some reckoning, some thinking, that puts us back into that same place, in that same event. We were there. We died. On Easter Sunday morning, before dawn, we were raised with Christ. Fill our hearts, Lord, with truth. We have come under increasing pressure from the world. And we're so sad and disappointed that parts of the church are taking the easy route to compromise, to back down, to dumb down on truth. Lord Jesus, help us. We don't just want to be against something, we want to be for something. We want to be for your glory, your goodness, your great way for humanity. That every word you say to us is for our good. That you have a good order for us if we will turn from the world and to the living God. Lord Jesus, help us as we deal every day of our lives with those three temptations that, that fire the world up, physical desires, uh, 
lusts of the eyes, the, the, the appetite of covetousness and greed and so on, and the wanting to be somebody and to make ourselves more important than we are. Help us, Lord. But help us not by just being against it, but by building us up, we pray, in truth. That we know who we are. We're the children of the living God. We know we have all we need from Him. We know we have all the significance we'll ever need because we belong to Christ. Thank you, Father. I just want to take a moment here. That perhaps you've never submitted yourself into the hands of Jesus. Sunday by Sunday, I try to remember to say something like this. Don't always. Why don't you make the most of these moments right now and talk to him? Lord Jesus, I submit myself into your hands. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to learn to live for you. I give it up. I give it over. Who I am, what I am. You can tell him I need to change. No. You tell him, Lord, please help me to change. Please come and change me. If this is faith, you depend upon him. You submit to him and surrender to him, and you depend upon him to come and reshape you, to come and remake you. You will lack no help in doing so. The Holy Spirit will come and help you. God will send people around you who will also come and help you and encourage you and strengthen you. But you need to make the step of faith. Call on his name, the Lord Jesus, right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In a moment or two, we're going to 